So finally, just to introduce Susan Braun briefly before she introduces Kate and begins their conversation, uh, Susan is the executive director of Commonweal. Um, she had a, a very distinguished uh, career and work with cancer advocacy and patient groups uh, before she came here with the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Fund and the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology Cancer Foundation, among others, is regarded as a, a national leader in the cancer field. Uh, she has been with us almost three years, if my count is about right, and um, she has brought just a tremendous amount to the Commonwealth community. She's a resident of Bolinas. Uh, she has created a, a network of friends already in West Marin, and it's a great honor and privilege to welcome Susan and Kate. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. So I'll, I'll add to Michael's welcome, my own, and especially to you, Kate, how much fun it's been to both read the book, to be a part of some of the learning process. You came here and did a group Santre as a part of what you put into this book, and then our conversations leading up to today that has given me such an even better insight into who you are as a person and how much I like what I see. Um, Kate is a therapist by training and by practice. She's a, a feminist, she's a scholar, she's a teacher, she leads workshops, and as Michael told you, she and her husband, Steve Costa, co-own the Point Reyes bookstore um, just up the road. And as you read the book and as we listen to Kate talk, I think you'll see how each of the different roles that you have in life, as well as your own life experience, some of which is here and some of which I'm going to ask you to talk about a little bit more, all blend together into creating what is such an exceptional work here for helping us to understand women and money and our emotional reactions to money, our, our ways of communicating about money, how we hold money in our lives. So without saying too much more about that, I'd like to give you the floor to talk a bit about your own journey, um, how you came to this particular work, this theme, and a little bit too about since you've completed this, I know you've had a lot more insight because of workshops that you've done, because of the kinds of responses you've gotten from people. So let you talk to us a little bit about that, and then we'll have a bit of a dialogue and then open it up for everyone for um, conversation and for questions and answers. So, over to you. So I want to thank you, Susan, and uh, thank Kira and Michael so much for inviting me and for offering such rich programs as they do to the new school. I've been uh, able to be, uh, ad attend some of the lectures and they've been uh, oh, very wonderful. I always uh, feel some anxiety when I start to talk about money because um, it's an enormous topic. And uh, um, though my heart is very full being here at Commonweal, uh, and I hope to um, present some sense of uh, what my work is, uh, there, it, I, I can never feel like I can do a complete job. Some of that is because when you look at money from an emotional, mm -hmm. psychological view, symbolic view, it's huge, right? You can't put your arms around it completely. It's not like looking at 
a, a budget sheet or an Excel spreadsheet or uh, the bottom line. It's, um, it's not concrete. It's not external. So each of us has a completely unique relationship to money based on our experiences and our psychology and, and probably what we're born with, right? Because little kids we know have very different relationships to the money in their lives, you know, when they're playing Monopoly or how, how they uh, keep the money in the piggy bank or they want to spend all the money as soon as they get it. So there's so many influences uh, and there's um, uh, such a range of experience. You know, I, I, uh, I did a workshop, and as I look out in the audience, I, I so wish that we could be telling each other stories, uh, not only because I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have to be trying to come up with the right words, but also because the richness uh, of the stories. I, I did a workshop yesterday, and I'm just always astounded when, you get, um, when I get to sit with 10 other women and what the... the uh, what we end up talking about is incredibly wonderful. So I'm going to do my best to um, convey, convey some of that. And um, I wrote the book because I, uh, my unconscious led me to the topic of women and money for my mm -hmm. dissertation. I wrote about women with inherited wealth, the experience of inheriting, and why they chose to work, women who didn't have a need for earned income. And... Um, uh, Actually, it was interesting when I spoke a few weeks ago at an event and I told that story and then I also told about um, a, a passage I'm going to read about my mother having a sizable inheritance. Uh, I got the feedback from a lot of people in the audience that they assumed that I had inherited a great deal of wealth. And I think that's a good teaching about um, what, how we relate to money, we relate a lot with projection, right? We don't really know how much people have. But with just a little bit of information, we assume, we make, we make calculations. And uh, we generally know about money through projection and through um, comparison, how much I have versus how much it appears someone else has. And this work, Emotional Currency, the book, and, and the way I approach money is really, it has nothing to do with how much anyone else has. It has to do with our inner relationship to money. And that we locate ourselves from, internally instead of externally. We're used to looking at money as something concrete and external to ourselves. And uh, th this is, um, I think, a missing approach to money. That we need that we need the financial approach, but we we also need an approach that has to do with the meaning that money um, holds for us. So I wrote the dissertation. I um, and and I want to say here that my, in Michael's introduction, he said something that we were um, really good organizers, and um, uh, my husband is a really good organizer. And I am not an organized person, so <laughs> I thought of that as you were introducing me. I, I'm going to jump around because I, I just what, whatever comes to mind is you know what comes out. So um, I wrote the dissertation and I went to uh, talk about my findings, <laughs> and I realized that the emperor had no clothes. That I had not looked at money in my own life at all. In my analysis, I had never talked about money. In my years of training and education, money is not 
something that the field of psychology is interested in. Um, I had never, never noticed that this was missing in my education. So I uh, approached money um, through writing, writing personal essays about money in my life, through meeting with uh, two other women, forming a small group and talking about money, and, um, and going back to therapy. And from the therapy, I found that it's money, approaching money isn't a linear thing. You don't, it's not like, okay, now I'm going to understand money. That it comes through the stories. It's a circuitous route to get, to understand what money holds for us and means to us. And it's very much stories. And um, so from the, that work, I uh, uh, started doing emotional currency workshops, offering these workshops. And the stories from the women, as I said, were so compelling that um, over the course of many years, I, I worked on the book. Um, I guess one uh, important teaching is how much we avoid it in our lives, that there's a taboo about talking mm -hmm. about it, which is huge. I think it has uh, probably the largest impact of anything. Um, we don't get to talk, especially for women. We don't get to talk with our friends about it and kind of find out what keeps us up in the middle of the night or what, what, what it was about an interaction or an exchange that is disturbing to us. We don't, we don't get to think and talk, talk it out. We don't get to hear from our friends or others about how they deal about money. And we don't get help in finding solutions to the problems or dilemmas that we're facing. So I think the taboo, um, it's such a relief when we can sit together and talk about money in a, in a safe setting, because we have a lot to uh, say to one another. I think there are forces just against us looking at it in the family, certainly, you know, most families, uh, in most families, we're taught that it's not a proper thing to talk about. And then, um, it, it's striking, isn't it, that we don't have financial education. We have sex ed in high schools, but we don't have the basic education about finance in high school or college. And so I, I think that it says something about the, the collective unconscious in this culture and the, the um, uh, benefit of keeping money uh, external and impersonal. And that there that there's some benefit to uh, you know I'm not a conspiracy conspiracy theorist but I but I think there is some there there are many forces that keep it um, externalized and that the the that this work though it's hard to to look at our intimate and personal relationship to money I think it has the potential to to change all of our lives I mean I, I see it with the people I work with I. I know it in myself, and um, I, I think it's important work to do. Uh, certainly, our culture needs um, needs help in terms of money. We know that there are lots of um, money has the potential to be both destructive and uh, evil, and also life giving and nurturing. And so I think that when we can look at our own blocks to money and and understand it individually, perhaps the collective face of money can change. That, that's my hope. 
And it, and it requires holding both the, the light and the dark, right? Holding the shadow and the, and the positive, um, nurturing, life-giving forces of money. And we all have stories of, you know, both of pain and, and of uh, uh, creativity or success. And I, I think holding both is, is a uh, part of the approach, um, uh, being curious about it rather than just judgmental or... Um, uh, you know, we have a lot of self-judgment, a lot of uh, shame about having too much, shame about having too little, shame of how we use money. Um, but, but, but kind of transcending that, feeling the shame, experiencing the shame, but also being curious about what, oh, how do I relate to this thing that I hold every day, that I use all the time, that I touch? But what, what does it really mean to me? How is it really working inside of me? I'm just going to read. I think we have time for oh, my reading. It, it, of I, I would love for you to. In fact, I want to just say that when I first started to read the book, and Kate has a lot of really good exercises in this for you to approach what your own uh, experiences with money, what your own emotions are. And I started reading it, and I was on an airplane, and I thought, I don't, you know, I'm fine about money. I don't have any stuff around money. And then I started reading it, and I was like, oh, well, there's that. And, well, okay. Oh, but then I, it seems quite eye-opening. So uh, for those of you who think you don't have stuff around money, take a look at this and see what you think after you read it. Well, I certainly fell into that category before I started looking to. <laughs> it's real eye-opening. And I, I think it's a good time to say that um, I wrote the book with women in mind, and I think there are, I, I'm, uh, I'm big on women becoming more engaged in their money lives and uh, uh, becoming empowered. But the book is also working for men. Uh, I've gotten lots of good feedback that way. So um, women have a particular history of alienation, and, uh, yeah. and it's uh, radically new for, for us to be uh, in, having money and mm -hmm. being in control of our money. But men have, uh, have inner money lives as well. So I think I'll start with um, a, one of my stories. The, in the book, there are stories of um, lots of other uh, women as well. This is a story that I knew exquisitely well. It's a pivotal story in my life. Um, for many, many years, influenced everything I did. But it wasn't until I looked at my relationship to money that I realized that this was impacting how I related to money. And much as Susan said, I, I thought that I was pretty clean about money. It wasn't that important to me. When I was in grammar school, my half-sister, whom I adored and who was 16 years older than I, and living on the other side of the country, seemed always urgently in need of a financial fix. Loans to buy groceries or to turn the heat back on in winter. After my parents learned my sister was addicted to heroin, her pleas broadened to include cash to pay the drug dealer. My parents fought bitterly over whether to provide the money. My mother was willing to use all of her sizable inheritance to save my sister. My father literally became ill from the sums of money being spent. To me, it looked as though my good mother wanted to protect my sister while my bad father wanted to cut her off. From my young vantage point, it seemed that money was the only way to save my sister's life. 
so when I started doing this work, not only did I see money in my grandparents' life, vibes, well, I didn't know my grandparents, but I could see how their relationship to money had filtered down to me. I saw how important money was in both of my parents' lives in very different ways. And then I could see this story, that money for me was about, not only about survival, it, it had really never been about survival, about food or a roof over my head, but about getting myself out of a predicament, that if catastrophe happened, that money was the only way that I could, could be saved. And so from that, that relationship to money, I never had enough money. Whatever I had, I had to hold on to. Uh, that's not to say that I didn't have other mm -hmm. forces that led me to, you know, or dynamics that led me to impulsively buy things or make other decisions. But the predominant view of money was that money was something that would protect me. Even, even though when I look more closely, right, as an adult, money hadn't saved my sister. And uh, it, it wasn't a problem of dollars and cents. My parents had reduced it to dollars and cents, but it wasn't a problem of dollars and cents. But in my psyche, money still held this, uh, this savior uh, position. So just seeing that, just putting attention to these stories, not, you know, you don't have to, have to be on the couch or go back to the uh, therapist. Just, just noticing our stories and giving attention to our feelings actually brings a, a, a great deal of change and freedom. Um, a story of shame, because shame's huge, mm -hmm. huge. And, and also whenever we talk about money, we're in a field of shame because, we're, because of the taboo and also because of having different amounts than other people. Navigating the differences is, is kind of tricky. Um, and the shame evoking. So someone else's story. My father put everything into making us look like an upper-middle-class family. You didn't have to scratch too far below the surface, though, to see the truth. In fact, just coming through our front door and seeing the lawn furniture in the living room told it all. All the kids I went to school with were wealthy, and I felt somewhat out of it because we weren't. My father wanted me to keep up the front, that we had money. When a friend was talking about her vacation, I couldn't let on that we never went anywhere because my father worked seven days a week in his store, so I could never be myself. I got a double whammy. I felt inadequate with my peers for not having what they had and not getting to be myself with them. And I also was convinced that Dad thought there was something wrong with my mother and me. Otherwise, why would he have to pretend we were something we weren't. And in a small story, oh, a small story about shopping. Shopping, shopping. No, that doesn't have anything to do with money. <laughs> or any of our or relationship love. to money, no. We don't do that. <laughs> My mother squirreled away money from her household budget to buy me whatever I wanted. I would hide the new dress or pair of shoes in my closet, wearing them secretly until they no longer looked brand new and they could pass underneath my dad's money radar. <laughs> if my dad did discover something was new, 
There would be a terrible fight. My dad would yell, we're all going to be in the poorhouse soon because your mother throws away money. My mother would try to explain that she always stayed within her household budget, but he was just angry. She'd end up sobbing in the bathroom behind a locked door. And a, and a little story that I think is so um, graphic about money, in this case being intertwined with love. I fell in love with a harmonica when I was about five years old. We went to the music store fairly often, and every time I'd stare at the harmonicas in the case. I continually asked my parents to get this particular one for me. After about six months, they gave that very harmonica to my brother for his birthday and told me I was too young to have it. I was crushed and took it to mean that they loved my brother more than me. But lots of variations on that theme, right? Of favoritism or feeling neglected, feeling less than. Mm -hmm. You have such beautiful stories threading throughout the book, including your own. And you told us a little bit about your own story. Um, how much has that colored your work then with women in wealth since you've, you know, both in doing your dissertation and then in the workshops and, and writing this book? Well, um, I, I chose that topic uh, for my dissertation out of, um, out of an experience of not inheriting money from an aunt. Um, my aunt gave money to one of my half-brothers and not to myself and not to another half-brother. And um, that experience, um, everything's got so many facets to it, um, made me realize the power of inheriting and not inheriting. Mm -hmm. And that my psyche, I always wanted to be taken care of financially. I think I was raised... Uh, as if there was enough money that I would never have to worry about money. But there wasn't. And my sister did shoot up a lot of money, shoot up, up her arm a lot of money. And my mother was really uh, unable, as a lot of mothers and some fathers are, uh, unable to say no to my sister. Um, and so the dissertation was really working out envy. Though the, the longing to be taken care of that way. And that's not to say that I didn't, I grew up with plenty, more than enough. And, and in fact, even have inherited some from my mother. But it did not put me in the position of, uh, you know, I, I went to graduate school. I, I did other things with my money. So, um, but the dissertation was, uh, it, it was eye-opening to see that inheriting a large gift of money had lots of burdens and lots of strings attached, and that it was not what I imagined it to be, mm -hmm. and what I think many people imagine it to be. You know, that you have a, a life free of worry, you know, that everything, everything's taken care of. This is so far from the truth. So, Hearing stories of women of the the costs in their families sometimes of uh, 
of a family that's so oriented towards making money or having money, the burdens of being gifted in, in such a large way, um, sense of inadequacy often, that their envy sometimes of women who knew how to support themselves and had struggled and worked in the world, the, the insecurities of, of uh, not knowing how to make it in the world or being seen or liked for your money or afraid that people are wanting your money, the experience of having people want to be with you because of your money. There, you know, it's tricky. It's a, it's a lot of hardship there as well. So it, I think it opened the door for feeling more compassion for other people's situations, not just my own, because we tend to just know what we know. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's another thing, another way that the taboo, I think, um, deprives us all of the richness of understanding what it's like to you know, pick strawberries when you're six years old to buy shoes for school or um, mm -hmm. be driven to school in a uh, limousine by a chauffeur and feeling embarrassed of how much you have. There, there are lots of, again, places where there are both gifts and, um, and burdens. Well, and, and one of the themes that both in your introduction and in the book, too, is about the balance and seeking that balance between the conscious and the unconscious, the difficulties that can come with having money and the difficulties that can come not having money, the masculine and the feminine, the dark and the light. So you're exploring, really, in such an interesting way, how both sides work. And in our conversation last week... One of the things that we talked about is how pronounced the single side is, the more rational, the more logical side, as opposed to our emotional understanding of money. Um, so talk about that a little bit more, if you would. And then I want to ask you to talk, too, about you've got a great list of, of words and concepts here about the masculine and feminine um, names for and descriptors of wealth and money. So talk about the both you know, that balance, how we're somewhat out of balance, or, or a lot out of balance, and then the, the, the two sides, how you see them. Well, I, I, again, I think it's the external, the concrete, is the dominant view. The financial view, the bottom line, the exact numbers is we're taught to be rational about money and that if we have emotional responses to money, that we should push them aside because they're dangerous to good money management. And the, we can't push feelings away, right? Mm -hmm. we, can, we can try to push them away. We can try to deny them, but they, they have a way of coming up, coming up and biting us from behind or finding mm -hmm. another way to come out. So it's a paradigm shift of appreciating that there's a rich field of the inner, mm -hmm. that it's a window to the self. Money's an incredible way to understand the self, understand ourselves, see things about ourselves we can't see other ways. It's also a doorway out to the world, the mm -hmm. way to interact with the world. We need to, we need to interact with the world. It's a great vehicle. We need to pay attention to the concrete. But we need a balance. We, we, need, we need both. And... Um, I, uh, 
the masculine and the feminine is just another way of of talking about that. That um, if you maybe you could uh, just take a, a a second to see what words pop into your mind when you think about money. The the range of our associations to money is uh, very broad. But I think that most of the way that we think money operates is from a masculine perspective. So a few of the words. Independence, right? The self-made man. Autonomy, reason, rules, regulations, hierarchies, judgment, decisiveness, separateness, competition, goal-directedness, initiative, domination, Mastery, government, the law. Ma- those are masculine principle uh, aspects of life. That's how we think about money. The feminine principle, we, we, uh, part of why the book is written for women is I think that women intuitively get that money is in the feminine field. Feminine principle. So this doesn't have to do with gender, right? It has to do with how we um, interact with the world. The feminine is about collaboration, interdependence, connection, relationship, community, values of the heart, play, imagination, intuition, spirituality, awakening, merging, awareness, the unknowable, emotion, Mm -hmm. lots, lots and lots of... Flow, spontaneity, not knowing the unknowable. And that really does describe so, so much of what we don't talk about when, when we're talking about money. One of the things that you said early on in the book is because we don't really talk about money our relation, or our relationship to it, we don't have a sense of what a normal relationship to money might be. Probably so, an unfortunate word, normal. <laughs> well, you, you put it in quotes. Yeah, okay. Oh, so, I mean, recognizing clearly that that's got <laughs> lots of dimensions to it. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, as you've talked to, and I know this has become a topic in therapy for you with some of your, your clients. Um, what are the ranges of normal that, that you think of? What are some of the, the behaviors, and it may be easier to describe in terms of what isn't than what is, um, healthy might be a good word, too, in, in our relationships to money. My first thought is, uh, yesterday at the workshop, several women said that they almost turned around at the door, right? They didn't really, they were really anxious about coming, and, and it's hard to talk about money. Um, and the stories, uh, so many of them had to do with, I'm embarrassed to say this, or this is, uh-huh. you know, this is, uh, feel, the feeling that we're alone, that we, that we face our money lives alone, which we often do, but also that we're the only ones who, you know, go to the accountant with all these little shreds of paper and, you know, <laughs> that we're, for taxes, that we're the only ones who aren't organized, or we're the shoe only ones, at shoebox, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're the only ones who, uh, you know, lost money in the market, or we're the whatever it is that we we feel really um, shame 
about yeah. how we how we're doing things. So when you hear from other people that they feel overwhelmed by money or they're they they're uh, so some of the stories yesterday a, a woman who um, yeah a woman who uh, who married someone who she thought uh, money was not important to she re- said she rejected lots of bows who uh, who were uh, dedicated to making a lot of money, but it turned out that her husband made a lot of money. So uh, in spite of, without intentionally going after it, and she's um, oh, darn. lived off of <laughs> such a dilemma, but it presented a dilemma. So she's lived off of his money raising the kids, and it doesn't feel like her money. And... Um, so she has a hard time spending the money. Lots of other stories. Why well, I hesitated to tell. There's so many stories mm-hmm. connected to that one story. One of which is that her mother said um, before her husband made a lot of money. Her mother said, "When I turn 75, your sister, your sisters, um, are going to buy me a new Mercedes." Immigrant family. The the Mercedes really represented a lot to this mom, and. Um, this woman felt totally rejected that she assumed that that her mother assumed that she couldn't contribute in in some way to you know a hundred dollars or something that both she and her brother were seen as not being able to give to the mom because uh, the mom didn't want her uh, donating her uh, donating to this gift um, there there is no normal Right? There is no normal. It's just that we all struggle in some area, in some relationship in our lives. We struggle, be it with our mothers. Another woman yesterday who, um, whose mother will buy her any car, any, um, any clothing. She said, you know, if I wanted a facelift, she'd pay for my facelift. But she wouldn't uh, pay for uh, me to buy a house. She wouldn't pay for my graduate school. She, the, her mother does not value that this woman is making it on her own, has a career. She said, my mother was very good at, at living off of other people's money. The mother had married well and married into money. So how money is used to control us, right, and have us were rewarded or not rewarded for different things. So um, the, all of those emotional stories that people are like, oh, I'm really, you know, oh, I'm going to cry, I'm embarrassed, I'm going to cry, or, or this is, I, you know, I'm ashamed of telling how intricate or how, how emotional, how, how personal this is to me. That, I guess that's what I'm talking about when I talk about mm-hmm. normal, that we don't know that other people wake up in the middle of the night and are anxious about money and... Uh, yeah are worried about, you know, are unhappy with their job and how are they going to find a new job if they can't leave the security of that job. We all thrash around with some aspect Mm -hmm. of money, even if we have a lot of it. You know, it's funny you say that. One of my dear friends is, has done very, very well for herself in life and she, um, has been very careful with money. She studied economics in graduate school. She knows her way around the business world extremely well. 
um, has invested well. I mean, she, you know, sort of textbook done it well. And not too long ago, she said something about, well, when I'm old and eating cat food. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, she has this fear that when she is old, she is not going to have money and she's going to be reduced to eating cat food. Of course, cat food's more expensive than fresh vegetables, but, you know, <laughs> still, that that's the way she was going to end up, end her life. And as I've talked to, a lot of women have what I call the bag lady syndrome. And you talk about that a little bit here in the book, too. About, and it seems to be a particularly female thing to do, yes. is to worry that at some point, no matter what's going on economically, financially for me right now, I'm going to end up in a ditch. Talk about that a little well, bit. We're also vulnerable, right? I mean, there's, there's money has been about security in this country yeah. for a long time. Things seem to be changing. We all know that it's not mm -hmm. quite as secure as it seemed like it was. Well, but for women, you know, we all have had uh, people in our families, friends, ourselves, who have really been on the edge, who have, uh, things have changed, they haven't worked, and then they have to work, or they lose their jobs, and they're mm -hmm. in their 50s, and are they going to get another job, let alone in their 60s, and mm -hmm. uh, we, women haven't saved, women haven't earned as much, yeah. women haven't invested. Again, there have always been women who have made money. There have always been women who invested well. But the, a lot of us, mm -hmm. we're vulnerable. And I, men are vulnerable, too. It, 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 money is, is something about being, it represents the vulnerability that we all actually experience as humans. That we don't have total control over what happens in our lives and that there are forces beyond our control. We don't know. It, the future is uncertain. So I think mm -hmm. that that... Mm -hmm. That's a part of it. And then there's probably some theme or experience in her life that, that even though this part of her feels really competent mm -hmm. you know, and uh, grounded financially, there's some other aspect of herself that, um, that feels incredibly vulnerable about the future. And you, you mentioned, too, um, the, the sociological aspects as well as the psychological aspects that culture, and particularly our American culture, seems to, to feed that as well. Um, that it has to do with, and you and I talked too about being in such a market-driven culture, um, a purchasing-oriented, more is better. Often that's the construct, uh, you know, around some of the economic doings in our, in our culture. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit and about that, money, that, too. Money is so dominant. It affects everything in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that the, the interface of psychology and advertising is one area that psychology has been interested in money, getting us to feel inadequate, being used in the service of uh -huh. our feeling inadequate if we don't have the latest, whatever it is. And so money, money is very connected to the self in that way, that we, if we have the money to buy the new whatever, mm -hmm. the new car, the new dress, the new computer, that some part of ourself is enhanced. We're sexier or we're more attractive or we're, our personality is better or we're better mm -hmm. people or... So that, that's one way that, um, you know, buying 
mind is so connected to self in this culture. Yeah. Now that might be changing a bit. Mm-hmm. We'll mm -hmm. see. I think there are other values. Some of this is about the stranglehold that money's had over us, mm -hmm. over us all, mm -hmm. and that that seems to be breaking apart some. Um, not that it, you know, it, we need it for food, we need it for shelter, we need it for access to health care. There are uh, education so tied to money so yeah. these days. So, I mean, it, it, it has very big, it has a very strong political um, life. It has uh, implication politically. And we think about money politically, I think. But uh, it's strangled out. Maybe that's not how you say it. It's suffocated. Hmm. The other values of, um, you know, what, like in my story about what actually will support me in a crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, money, money can buy some things, but there's a lot it can't buy. Mm -hmm. what, what do I really value in my life? What, what is nourishing and, and uh, um, heart-giving? And what gives my life meaning? Mm -hmm. Money is, it has a very small role in, in that. And so when, when you live in a culture where money dominates every aspect, yeah. where it's the God, um, it, it, I think it's really important to, to reflect. Uh, it's been really important for me to reflect on what other things uh, do I value? Mm -hmm. What else is, is uh, at the heart of my existence? And I think that we're beginning, I, I don't know how deep or how far we'll go, but that's beginning to happen. That um, as the external financial world's more insecure and more people are at risk, mm -hmm. uh, there, there seems like we come together, it strengthens community, it strengthens um, self-reliance in, in a different way. It strengthens our interconnection, a recognition that we... We all need each other right. to survive. And it's it, within that, too, and, and as I was reading through some of this and really giving it some, some thought in a way I haven't before, it's, it's still very hard to disentangle money from so many other ways that, that we look at the world. So when you peel down to the next and the next layer... Um, I, I had to keep peeling away what, you know, the, a, a monetary value of something or a, a material value of something to get down to that, <laughs> to that next layer. So it's really pervasive. And it flips back and forth, doesn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. because we do, we do relate to it concretely as well. Mm -hmm. We do. And it, you, you have to. We have to. Uh-huh. We so have to. Good. Well, switching gears just a little bit, another thing that I think is so interesting in what you talk about throughout the book, and one of the statistics that, that I was aware of but got me thinking is that women now control more than 50% of the wealth in our society, and I, I think that is something that can change us profoundly. Just knowing just knowing that could, that's right, could change us profoundly. Don't you feel powerful? <laughs> but it's helpful, um, isn't it? Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me what you think about that, and and that might be something for us to talk about yeah, with the group in a little bit as well. Love but to hear other people's. Um, it's changing philanthropy mm -hmm. for one thing. That um, women tend not to care so much about having the building named after themselves, and they're. <laughs> 
more, you know, and generalizations are not exactly fair, but that that um, they're more hands-on at their giving. They want they want to be involved with the organizations and the people that they're um, giving money to. Uh, they want an intimate, a direct relationship. Um, you know, it, it's a hard time. Uh, let me say that this, this, the statistics are that a quarter of the married women who work make more than their husband. <clears throat> and I've heard from a lot of single women that uh, who, single women who are making a lot of money that it's hard to find partners. Hmm. So we have much more access. Lots of things have changed. We have more access to money. We have our own credit. It's only been in the last 30 years that a woman can have her own credit, can, can buy a house on her own. I mean, it's not, it's so radical. And in so many places in the, the world, women can't own property. Um, for years in this country, once you married, you lost your financial independence. Anything that you owned, inherited, or earned was your husband. So we have much more access and control, which frees us to make other choices, right? We are more apt to leave relationships that are not working or are abusive. We have more choices about how we spend our money. Um, a lot of things haven't changed. When I talk to financial advisors, a lot of women who know better still aren't able to make decisions, be involved in the, the, the financial decisions of, um, for investing. Um, they aren't involved. They don't know what, if they're married, what their partner or their uh, spouse is spending or, uh, you know, Lots of stories of women who get divorced and find out that the taxes weren't paid, or uh, the credit, there are lots of credit card debt, secrets, lots of secrets. Mm -hmm. We're still not talking to our partners about money. That came out loud and clear yesterday. So many people who have been in long-term relationships who, who aren't talking about money with their partners. So we're at a really exciting time, I think, that the... That um, we have more money, we're making more money, and it's very much a, a transitional time where we, where we have to do the inner work, I think, to take more responsibility and be more engaged. Um, recognizing that it's overwhelming to approach money, to figure things out. Money is very complex right now, financially speaking, mm -hmm. I'm saying. But there are lots of women who are really good at it, and there are more and more women in the financial field. There's more and more education available and help. So that wherever we are, whether we're in debt, where we have lots of money, that we can engage. Because that's something that, that um, this psychological or symbolic uh, approach to money teaches us. That when something is a symbol, the way we know it is through engaging with it. So if women have traditionally kept, let someone else take responsibility for money because it's, it's just easier. They've, we've lost knowing 
getting used to working with it and knowing it and knowing ourselves in relationship to it. So beginning wherever we are is, is really important. Well, it brings up so many questions and so many stories, and I, I want to make sure we, we get to, um, to some of the group's questions and stories, too. One of the comments that you made to me earlier, too, is about um, healing ourselves as it relates to, uh, you know, our relationship to money. And one of the things that we do here at Commonweal, we have some very scientific and very concrete things that we work with and on, and we also look at healing aspects of much of what we do, healing actions, healing intentions, um, and healing work. How, how have you seen people, what forms of healing have you seen and what means of healing have you experienced or helped people with around their relationships with money? Someone in a recent workshop had a shopping addiction, uh-huh. and in the workshop she realized it was tied to a block in her creativity, and she started sewing <laughs> and stopped shopping. Um, getting underneath. You know, seeing what, where the block is, like any, anything that we heal, see, seeing what the origin of the block is helps us to identify what we need to do in order to heal ourselves. So um, yesterday somebody talked about playing Monopoly with their little brother and that he was um, uh, always focused on the money from a very early age and then went on later in life to steal a lot of money from their mother and, mm. um, and be completely untrustworthy when she would loan him money. And when she told the story to herself and to us, she, she realized that she um, didn't need to engage in this dance with her brother anymore. You know, that it was okay. that he, he was not in her life. He had died, actually, many years ago. But that she was still identifying with being the one who wouldn't have and the one who people took from and that that emotional baggage you could Mm say excuse me what she could let let go of it so there there's sometimes there's very again deep healing that happens from just seeing our story forgiving with compassion Mm -hmm. forgiving ourselves forgiving another connecting dots in new ways Mm-hmm. Seeing things as an adult that we couldn't see as a child, certainly true in my story. Sure. Um, and, and doing the, uh, sometimes the healing is just that simple, you know, sometimes it, it requires going over and over and over something. And, um, well, and you talked about shame, too, so a lot, you know, the shame that so many of us hold around money or our own relationships to money or our own what we perceive as poor uses of or, or, you know, transactions with money. And so I imagine healing the shame or bringing it out into feeling light it. in some ways. Exactly. I think shame is really something that if we can tolerate, if we feel it, that mm-hmm. it, it helps. There's always something humanizing under shame. So if yeah. we can feel it, that it, it, that it lessens and we get to understand it, 
uh, and um, uh, recognizing that we are not our money, you know, right. that our ego has attached so much to mm. what we had or what we didn't have and our value, our sense of self-worth and, and uh, 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 self-esteem came so much was right. influenced so much by that, Very but that, that, that we are much larger beings than, mm -hmm. than that. As um, unwise as I know it can be to ask a therapist about advice, you know, um, because <laughs> you're, you're supposed to We're be bringing out that of out it. of us, right, as <laughs> yeah. opposed to. But, but from what you've seen and learned in, um, in this work, Kate, what advice would you have for women as they are looking at their relationship to money, to wealth, to all that surrounds it? I think probably the things I've said, which have to do with finding other women to talk to, mm -hmm. you know, finding a trusted friend or friends to talk to. And I, I think I say in the book that it might not be the person who helped you through the divorce or through the uh, diagnosis of an illness or mm -hmm. through the job transfer, but someone who you can, you can really be open with about money where it's safe. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, uh, you know, like not being afraid to get our, our, uh, uh, our hands into it, you know, to what, wherever, wherever we need to put attention, if it's the financial or the emotional, to, um, again, to be curious about it and to um, recognize that it's a difficult topic, but it so hugely impacts the quality of our life. Uh, again, not with how much we have. It doesn't matter how much we have or how little we have, that we can really have some more freedom um, and, and feel more support. I think when we look at, when we deal, engage with our money life. And, and I think to, to value the, the intuitive, the feminine in terms of money, mm -hmm. to, um, to open to that and to have the experience of what it feels like to hand money to somebody else, what it feels like to figure out the tip or to choose to buy something. I, you know, I, I, um, I had a kind of a rocky day on Wednesday in terms of the book, and, um, and I went and bought an electric toothbrush. And it was such a gratifying experience. <laughs> I could not believe the, the satisfaction, you know? There's something about having a need. I could, I could, I was, I could be efficacious. I could make this happen. Uh -huh. And uh, it gave me all sorts of insights into buying and, you know, <laughs> the distraction of buying and the... Uh, but, but it's interesting to live in that, in that field. It's interesting to go through the, the habits, our daily habits, and to bring imagination to that, and to bring emotion to that, and to enliven an area that, that is, is enlivening. Mm -hmm. It enlivens our life to look at money in, in this way. And to have the conversations and hear the stories. I think that's been 
just a remarkable part of this, too. And you share that with us in the book. I mean, we, even if we aren't having conversations one-on-one -on -one with people about their, their money lives, we hear them through, through the stories you bring to the book. So shall we yes, open up and ask to. people who would like to both tell stories and or, and or ask Kate some questions? But thank you. This has been just thank you so much, wonderful, Susan. Kate, to thank have you. the conversation with you. on the phenomena that occurs when a matriarch or a patriarch dies and a family that has been so-called in balance for generations goes berserk, turns into werewolves, devours each other and never speaks to many relatives again. <laughs> do, you, do you want to say more? <laughs> Is there a story in this? <laughs> I, I think you could be way more eloquent than I can. <laughs> just, just to say, it's so primitive, right? It just touches into uh, uh, feelings of love and uh, 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 getting our needs met. And it, it's, a, it's an enactment of years of experiences and the interpersonal dynamics. That, uh, that kind of stay contained, right, or somewhat under the surface at least, and then the money comes to play, and we're, we're all, uh, uh, I don't know, beasts. <laughs> we're demons, huh? I said we regress. We regress, exactly, thank you. <laughs> we regress, and uh, the, the unfairness and the debts and the indebtedness and all of that comes to play. And it happens, right, time, time and time again. Time and time again. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. What do you have any <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you what happened in my family, but <laughs> I don't think it's a model. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's hard, you know, and, and I think the, the best we can do is to be as conscious of our own part in that and our own feelings and, and when we can be compassionate about why other people are acting the way they do. So, some families can talk about it, actually, you know, but a lot can't. So, um, uh, you know, and, and we can be proactive. We can talk with uh, the matriarch or the patriarch before they die to try to influence so that things are left in a more equitable way or a fair way. And so there's the, the least amount of, um, of uh, you know, legal uh, problems. But I, I think it's really hard. There's a, I'm full of stories from yesterday, but this woman who said her father, um, again, there are stories before and after this, but her father married uh, one of her uh, childhood friends and um, left all of his money to the to his then wife, her former her former friend, and um, she just died. That's hard. And she's leaving a little bit of money, you know, some, I don't know how much, but a little bit of money to this woman, mm -hmm. and nothing to her siblings. So we all talked about, oh, isn't that interesting? What is that money? You know, it's kind of like hush money. We thought it was like, uh, uh, you know, there's some kind of payback to this one friend, but it creates, to, to her former friend, but it creates all these other entanglements. And I think that, you know, because we're not, we're so unconscious 
about what influences uh, our behavior with money. There, there are lots of nasty things that get played out in wills and um, uh, that are sometimes intentionally meant, meant to um, cause problems. Yeah. Boy, the stories about that could go on and on <laughs> and on, yes. Yes, I have a question. Um, do you see money as energy? And if you do, how can we have that energy flow more um, fluidly? Great question. I'm going to restate the question oh, yeah. just in case people didn't hear that. So asking if you see money as energy, and if so, how can we make that energy flow better or more? I, I think there are people who've written much, much more on money as energy, uh, know much more than I do. But I, absolutely, I see it as energy. And, I, and my belief is that looking at the emotional blocks helps to make money flow better. You know, ju just the simple exercise of, of giving your, your, having money in your right hand, which you give to your left hand, right? Placing the money in your left hand, receiving it. Um, and then giving the money from your left hand to your right hand. They're simple uh, exercises of playing with receiving, giving and receiving, and then being out in the world. Well, I think when, we're, when we appreciate, uh, I've learned so much about money from being in the bookstore. Mm. I am supported by... I'm going to, you know, start tearing. I am supported, literally supported, and energetically supported by everyone who buys a book um, at Point Reyes Books. I am supported by everyone who buys a book at an independent bookstore because we are all fighting for our survival. So when you support another independent bookstore, you're supporting Point Reyes Books. That appreciation that um, I cannot make it on my own, right? I need other people to support me, be they clients or customers at the bookstore, changed for me the, how money feels energetically. So that I, when I give money, to, I'm, I'm very conscious of where I spend my money and who I support. Um, and that, for me, feels like it, the flow, it's the right flow for me. That's not to say that's the right flow for everybody, uh, but that's the right flow for me is to, um, it, it, it makes for a, a, rich, a, a rich interconnectedness. Um, so looking at where, perhaps, where we each are blocked, Doing the emotional work, I think, really helps with the, the flow of money. What, why do we have trouble receiving? Do we have trouble giving? Right? Do we, do we um, worry too much and, and don't deal with it enough? Right? Are we too much inward or are we too much outward? Looking at all the, the different possible balances. And then when we come across something that feels like it's, uh, we can't look at it or it's really um, underdeveloped, working with it emotionally. But it, it's an amazing vehicle for connecting us to one another. You know, mm -hmm. the barter system is, is, is great. But what I love about money is that it, that, um, 
uh, I don't need to have exactly what you want in order for us, you know, and you have exactly what I want for there to be an exchange. You give me the money for what I have, and then I get to spend it with so many different people. I get to, to, uh, yeah. uh, to have an energetic, emotional, however, political, spiritual relationship with all these people. And it's this way that it interconnects us. And that when we go to Target and when we go to you know, uh, Safeway, we may not have as direct an experience of that, so even though it's, it's still there. But, but when I shop in a, in a smaller store and I know, I know that more of those dollars are staying locally and I know the, and I know the person I am, it's, it's a joy. It, it's actually a joy and it's not, it's not the, the thing itself. It's the, it's the sharing the wealth. It's the, um, the keeping the flow going. Mm-hmm. Micah. Well, of course, a lot of things coming up for me in this discussion. And uh, one is just the joy of just like filling up my car with gas. It's so satisfying. And I wonder if it comes from that fear that someday I'll be eating cat food. You know, that will. <clears throat> but because um, money taking care of your needs can be really satisfying, even when it's not frivolous. And the other thing was um, inheriting money in a whole other way from people who never shared it with you, and then they die, and then you inherit the money, and you feel like it's not your money at all, because it never was kind of given to you. So mm-hmm. I've been through that one, which is, I still haven't really come to terms with them. <clears throat> I'm wondering when you keep saying you did a workshop yesterday, where you do workshops, <laughs> the accessibility of your workshops. So I have a website, which is emotionalcurrency.com, and it lists the upcoming workshops. Um, there's one in Point Reyes coming up, so I do workshops in Point Reyes. I do workshops in San Francisco. I'm going to do a workshop in Bellingham and Seattle and Santa Fe. We can all go to the one in Santa Fe. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Point Reyes is, is, is a real close, really good. Yeah, that's right, good shopping. I know. <laughs> One of the things, though, too, Micah, that you said that I think is interesting, and, and Kate, you've probably um, come across this, too, in, in your work, is when someone who's had money and who has never shared it with you, you know, it's never been sort of a part of your relationship with them, then leaves that money to you. Whether, you know, you thought maybe it would have been nice to have had that sharing earlier in the relationship, <laughs> or, you know, but... but uh, what, what, talk about that a little bit, too, what, what that means. Well, again, it's so individual, right? I mean, um, uh, m- my dad didn't believe in really, uh, he wasn't helped financially, so he didn't believe in helping me. Um, and uh, so the, the money that I did get, uh, I mean, I totally relate. You know, it... it um, it's not the same as someone who can share and support you and um, uh, uh, have that experience with you. And I think there's some, on my part, I think there's some uh, uh, anger. You know, there are a lot of different emotions, right? There's mm-hmm. anger. There's a, a sense of it not being personal. It's not, not, being, um, not being money of the heart. Uh, I, you know, 
understanding my dad and why he was like that helped me some. And, um, uh, but it, it's still, it's a paradoxical experience of feeling that someone withheld so much that even when they gave to you, that, that there's the withholding is, is uh, embedded in it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, what I do is I just, I just write. I wrote about my dad again, you know, yesterday, and I wrote about the, the kind of under, seeing some other piece because like anything emotional, as we, you know, go along in life, things look different as we reflect back on it. So I had a, an understanding that helped me feel better about my dad yet again, holding the dark and the light. And um, uh, not denying our own experience, but having some insight into what made that person the way they were. Right. Why they had to hoard it or hold on to it or not give it. And, um, uh, uh, you know, my dad, I'd go to the grocery store with him. I was cooking a meal for him, and he wouldn't buy the bag of groceries. You know, I, I as a... <laughs> Step parent, I would buy the bag of groceries. As the daughter, I wanted him to buy the bag of, you know, $20, buy the bag of groceries. But he couldn't do that. And so how, how wounding that was to me continually. But in fact, it was, my dad loved me, you know. He just couldn't get his wallet out, you know. <laughs> Good thing they're not connected, right? <laughs> What other questions in stories, too? I mean, the oh, yeah. stories can really enliven the conversation. Please. Yeah, I've got a story. Um, two years ago, I was in a really serious car accident and unable to work for, I ended up, ended up being a year. And the lead up to this, I'm self-employed, I'm very independent, didn't have a good relationship with my mom in England. <clears throat> and uh, I'd applied for disability insurance on the financial advisors advice I'd been turned down for various reasons. I happened to have my car accident in a state where I wasn't going to get any money <clears throat> from it. So uh, there's, there's two states in the whole of the US where you don't get money if you're rear-ended. So here I was, paralyzed on my couch, unable to move, and having to ask my mom for help because all the other doors have been closed. And um, <clears throat> she has money, she's inherited money. and. Um, I had to write a very careful letter to her because I just didn't want it to be a begging letter. And so I composed the letter over several days and, um, and also tried to control things that my sister wouldn't intervene and try and be the go-between. And I said, don't ch you can show this to my sister, but don't ask her advice. Well, of course, it arrives and my sister's there. We haven't been. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, every way that I tried to control it, it doesn't happen and then you know she calls me up immediately and she says look how much do you need you know so I spent the rest of my year recovering being supported by my mom and a lot of healing came out of that situation which I would never have dreamed could happen any other way thank you thank you wonderful story get the gifts of money yes other questions comments Stacy, okay, I have a question. Knowing what you know today, how would you handle your father? Would you handle him in a different way? Would you visit with him? Would you open up dialogue in a different way with him today, if you had him here? 
You know, I, I think I would tell him about my experience, not from a place. I mean, I'd have to be where I am today, which is, uh, you know, I, I don't need him to take care of me. I'm, I, emotionally, I'm not driven for him to take care of me. But I, I think I'd be honest with him about how, what my experience was. And so that also he could tell me about his experience. You know, if I, if I could have uh, understood how his father dying young and going through the depression. Um, what I wrote about yesterday was he'd lived in Winnipeg when his dad died and then he moved to Santa Monica. And uh, my dad was very handsome and social and I think he just, his life was this trajectory of having fun, having a good life. And when things got hard, my dad disappeared, you know? So I think if I had understood that how uh, I'm going to cry, but how that was the main driving motivation of my dad. That it would have helped me to, to see that he, yeah, help, help my hurt, help heal my hurt. And it's about understanding each other. You know, we all have, yeah, all the generations of, of, gain and loss and, and the historical period that we lived through and what the economy is doing and, um, you know, religion, race, uh, gender, just so much. And these stories help us, help us to interpret what happens in different ways than it's all about me because mm -hmm. it feels as, as if it's all about me. It's not to say that I, I needed my dad to support me more. Financially, what you know, but I needed I needed him to not be as withdrawn. But given that he couldn't be anything but who he was, if I could have appreciated his story more, I, I think I it wouldn't have been as uh, as uh, traumatic to me. You know, it's interesting when we think about parents and uh, their relationship to money and how that affects us and our children and their relationship to money and how that has come about. I, my son and I have such a different way of looking at money, I wonder where he came from. Um, he is so, he is such a tightwad and he is so careful about every penny that he spends. We went on an, uh, a vacation one time where it was all inclusive, you know, one of these places where you can have as much food as you want and and he was, he was 20 years old. He was devastated to know that I had to pay for that. I mean, he thought it really all came free. <laughs> and so it was okay for him to eat anything he wanted. And, but then when he found out we were paying for it, it totally changed his relationship to the vacation. And so, you know, I really, I think it's fascinating to think about, you know, from a psychological perspective, where these, um, where our own relationship where money comes to money comes yeah. from yeah. how much of it comes from what we observe in our family and where else these roots are that guide or or shape our own relationship to money surely you've seen lots of interesting examples of that well and that he probably I, I would assume that early on he showed some of these signs with money do you remember yeah, he's he did always, he have a savings account? Oh, oh, or he absolutely. Kept? He got money when he graduated from high school that he still has five <laughs> years later. I mean, he just you know he he doesn't part with money easily at all. So, and and these things are not you know we talk 
we talk about them in terms of problems, sometimes they're not problems. Sometimes it's accepting who we are, mm -hmm. accepting our personality, yeah. and working within that, you know, working with that, and, and then just at least noticing the ways it costs us. You know, that if there are mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. if we're more like Susan's uh, brother, uh, son, that if, we're, if there are things that we regret not having done or ways that we need to indulge ourselves sometimes, mm -hmm. kind of just, working, just working a little to, to, to transform that, you know, working a little to open it. It's not, not like we have to overhaul the whole engine, you know. Yeah. Sometimes we just need to, to work... To, to play with it, you know, it would be interesting to give him some money for Christmas or something and just say, I want you to play with this and have a completely different experience, not worry about how much, you know, go out to dinner, not worry about how much anything on the menu costs. Don't even look at that. To have a different experience, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, that um, we, get, we get quite caught in habits and that um, mm -hmm. sometimes there, there's a... Something that we're missing in our diet that we need, that, that how we handle money keeps us from having an experience. And so, so playing, you know, I say in the, in the book it can be as simple as spending cash instead of using your credit card all the time mm -hmm. or buying something really expensive in whatever your personal economy is, you know, whatever expensive it is. Buying it and letting yourself have the range of experience of, reactions to buying something expensive. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, and having a conversation with your son about, how did you get that way? We're so different. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how different we are? And what is that like for each of us when we're interacting around mm -hmm. money? We, fortunately, we, they're, mo they're mostly comical kinds of interchanges. <laughs> but <laughs> Yes. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed in relationships with people is that whether it's realistic or not, each person I know comes from a space of having grown up feeling like they had a safety net, a financial safety net. That if something like a little bit about what Kate was saying about Kate was saying about whether whether you would be rescued or not mm -hmm. financially in a situation, and then other people grow up feeling that that safety net is not there, that there there is no safety net and you are your own safety net. And I don't think it necessarily bears any resemblance to how wealthy your family is or or how <coughs> well off you've been growing up or, or maybe even any reality about whether your parents would really rescue you, you know, uh, in, in a situation. Um, like you were saying about having to ask your mother. I just think that each person for, you know, cues that may be totally irrational that we grow up either feeling that safety net is there or not feeling that safety net is there, and it really influences everything we do around money. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a story about a woman who has fantasies of being the bag lady, and she has to look at where they come from because she does have the safety net. You know what? What? Right. What is? What is contributing to that? Currently, but I think you're absolutely right that that sense and and culturally too. You know, people who grow up in in uh, well in England, for example. You know, that there's some sense that there's medical care. There there there's more help if you need help. 
Um, here, we're, we're so much uh, each person for themselves that we're protecting our family, but, but, but we're, uh, we, don't have, we don't have a safety net. So it's another influence sometimes. Thank yes. you. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I mean, it brings up a lot of stuff personally. I can tell, think of stories and stuff that it's hitting. But on a cultural level I, I, and political level, I see it feels like there's another attack. I'm not saying it's never been that way before, but on, on people who are poor. And you see it politically all over the place. And it's some of it's shocking to me because I grew up in the 60s and it felt like incrementally we were moving towards yeah. goals of, and ideals that we were all in this together and we were helping one another. And it seems now that there's such a backlash of they don't want to, people who don't want unemployment insurance, attacking labor rights, attacking, you know, all kinds of, of safety nets and people thinking, like, I don't want my money going towards helping anybody else. I did it by myself, which I think is an illusion. Um, and it's really, and I used to teach history, and I think that an unconscious thread of this is actually Calvinism and the Purit Puritans and Calvinism and this idea that you were talking about about um, uh, if you're if you're you're an okay person if you are successful and you're not a good person if you're poor those emotional issues but Calvinism basically was the beginning of a lot of you know was the religion in a lot of the Western in the um, excuse me the Eastern States, and that was basically God. If you were successful, God showed He favored you by making you have money. And if you were poor, it meant that God didn't love you, basically. And it was the men. I mean, it was the men who were successful. That's and right, because women were, couldn't even vote. They right. couldn't work. They couldn't vote. Right. They couldn't know anything. They were property. So you're. I think you're the uh, the notion of the self-made man is just such. A, Untruth. It's such I was going to say myth, but that's yeah. the wrong use of the word myth. It's, it's such a uh, fabrication because those men were supported by all their relationships with other people, including their wives and their children, who were who were working together. So um, it's not it's not a, it's yeah. not a, yeah that it, that but is it's a thread in the, the country. Religion. And you see that, and I, this isn't everybody, but a lot of the people that are politically acting um, <clears throat> in this way are people that are from the religious right. Not, not, I'm not necessarily saying all of it, or people who are religious necessarily act that way, but there is this thread and I don't think it's conscious. Well, it's, a, it's an incredibly greedy time, and it's okay. an incredibly scary time, and the haves and the have-nots are the so larger discrepancy, and there are more and more yeah. people who are poor. So it's... Um, that's very sad. That's very sad. Back here, there's another. Someone had it. Yes. Yeah, I was just thinking of uh, some more on a micro level, but I was thinking of this particular friend I have. She's a dear friend, um, and we, you know, do things together, like especially we go to the dog park and walk the dog, and you know, she was a dancing. Uh, we took dance classes together, so we do lots of. But I have found that there's this real. Um, there's this real annoying thing that happens a lot with her. And this is just, you know, like there's a little micro vision into a, a friendship is that, you know, I might have 
I don't care if it's, you know, a mixed bag of nuts or something that I have with me on the hike, or maybe it's an apple, but she'll ask me, you know, oh, God, where'd you get that? And I'll say, well, I stopped at Whole Foods. Other way, she goes, oh, man, how much did you pay for that? And I'll <laughs> say, well, I don't know. Maybe she's oh, but she would go to, you know, Trader Joe's, and it's probably, you'd get it so much cheaper. I said, yeah, but I would have to drive. It would take me an hour because i got to stand in line. And I guess, and she, this is something that comes up a lot, you know, and, and, it, and it has got to the point sometimes where it, where I, it, it'll, um, you know, it waters down my, kind of the experience what I'm having, whether we, you know, it's a choice of where we go for a meal or whatever. It's always about cutting and saving, cutting and getting the best cost, which is her value and my value is maybe time and quality. And so there's always this kind of dance and a little bit of, of friction about where do we, mm -hmm. um, how do we share I don't know. I, I don't know how to, I kind of don't know what to do with this anxiety she has about what, you know, what's my experience and the cost of what I've paid to have that experience. And do you think you could have a conversation with her that to just, in, in as neutral a way as you can, to say that I've noticed these comments <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I wonder, you know, what, what are you, what are you saying to me or what, where does that come from? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, you want you want to be sensitive because we have different amounts of money, right? And so but she has more than me. Oh, she has more than you. <laughs> <laughs> she has more than me. That's the weird part. <laughs> I think <laughs> that may be why. <laughs> I think it's a great opening, you know, mm -hmm. to 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 yeah. say I noticed these comments, or tell me tell me what happens to you when I buy this bag at Whole Foods. <laughs> tell me what what what's your response to that, yeah. and to and to, yeah. to to hear from her is that her mother's voice, her father's voice, is that her voice? What you know to really find out about the judgment about it, because it'll it will shift how it is for you. And, and I think, you know, you can say, you know, I know we don't talk about money. You know, we're not used to it. I went to this talk the other day. And she, and, and this, right? And it came to mind. That's right. It's fault. But I think it's a great... But it's a great opportunity because it's not, it's not something that, it, it's, there's not a big conflict here, right? It's just a casual comment yeah. that she's making, right. but making right. repeatedly. So it's important to her. And to understand her, let alone, you know, feel okay about your bag of mix, you know, trail mix, <laughs> you know, talking about it would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Let me know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she says with trepidation. You've just given me the perfect opening for the question that I've been trying to figure out how to ask. And I want to go back and pick up that, that thread of, of having the conversation. Yeah. Which was one of the, I think that was the first piece of advice that you answered Susan's question with. And this is something that we don't talk about. And you were saying maybe the, the first thing you do is just to have more conversations. And it might not be the same friend that you talk to about money as a person who can help you with one of these other big areas that we all live through. And um, you've been so open with your own story, and I really appreciate what, what you've done with that in the book as well as today. But 
if, but in, your, in, in the book, you talk about a conversation that you had once that was actually hurtful. Yeah. And I think you, you said you, didn't, you hadn't been able to make it safe for yourself to have right. that conversation. So I would really love it if you talk a little bit more about how to, have, how to, mm -hmm. how to initiate those conversations, how to, how to make them safe. But this is, you know, we're, we're watching a wonderful one right now. And we're, we're hearing, we're hearing a, a flow that, that feels safe and, 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 and wonderful and really full of lots of, of rich things. But if we, just, if we go out, I mean, how do I go out and start having this conversation and make it safe for me and safe for the other person, with, maybe without this kind of wonderful opening on the trail? That, that, that our friend here just well, I, th I do think acknowledging that money is really hard to talk about. And, um, but that you've been noticing that you have a lot of reactions or feelings about it and that you want to talk with whoever this is, the father, the mother, the friend, the, um, the co-worker. Um, and, and sharing some piece about yourself. You know, something about your, what you're up against or what you're dealing with or what, 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 again, what keeps you up in the middle of the night is a really good place to start, I think. Some vulnerability, moving it into a different realm where it's not, um, you know, tit for tat or competition. In the book, I talk about uh, having done that some with someone and she asked me how much uh, I made. And um, I told her. So I thought it was safe enough to tell her. And she, and I can't remember what she said, but something like, oh, only that much? Mm. You know, mm. oh, is that all? And then she didn't tell me how much she made. Yeah. So it does have the potential. These conversations can kind of be deal breakers, right? <laughs> this, this is someone yeah. who I... I could no longer, I still have a relationship with the person, but I could no longer feel intimate with because for me, someone who is that competitive with me yeah. is not safe, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think there are other people I mean, it's the beauty of the workshop is everyone in that room wants to talk about money, wants to have a conversation. But I would imagine that you could figure out in your own life one, two, three people who you have a sense would welcome a conversation like this, right? Who, who, could, um, mm -hmm. who could engage. Mm -hmm. And then you go out and you, and you make inroads. Or it could be like this woman, that there's an issue between you with someone else, between you and someone else, where that's calling for attention. So it's like being being courageous, you know? It pays off emotionally to be courageous. As Angelus Arian says, it's that, oh, sorry, <laughs> that's my heart <laughs> beating. It, it, that, so it has to do with our heart, our core. And, and so it, 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 to live in our hearts, we, we need to be courageous and, and talk about these issues when they come up. Friendships where there's great inequalities, you know, in what we have and how we spend and what we value. This is, it's grist for the mill. It's a, it's a richness. It's not all a problem. The, the woman who talked about mom finally came through. How healing. It's so healing to have these conversations. Not with everybody, you know. 
but begin and see, and they won't all turn out well, but the ones that do, it will be so deepening. It will be so enriching. And you will feel, this woman yesterday said, I feel both how, I feel a lot of ick, and I feel uh, uh, relief, and I feel enlivened, you know? So mm. there, there's all that ick about money, uh, but mm -hmm. there's also so much heart and soul, and uh, and uh, in in it's so enlivening, um, and so it's doing it within ourselves, and then taking it out uh, with others because we because you know we can only do so much with ourselves. We have to also include other people as well. Well, and it speaks to you know going back to one of the earlier parts of our conversation how vulnerable we are when we talk about money. And there's something about opening up our vulnerability to someone else, which is part of what these conversations are. And how that can put you in a difficult place, but it can also really increase the bond that you have with someone where that, when that's treated with, with great care. And then, as you said, your, your heart opens more. That's a great, great comment. When I first talked about shame and money, mm -hmm. I realized that I would feel I don't know, safer. I was more comfortable getting up in front of the audience and taking my clothes off than I would be telling how much money I had. That, I mean, that's how vulnerable we are, right? I mean, I, you can imagine, I really would not want to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. I've never had I'd that long. I don't think I want to do either one very badly. So right, recognizing the the degree of vulnerability yeah. that we feel, but not letting that stop us. I see a hand, and I don't see the head attached to it. Please. Um, um, we all admit that we have this ambivalence to money. And um, considering the culture we're in, where there's a lot of commercialism and consumerism and all of that, going forward, how um, it's a cycle, a vicious one. We see this happening in our grandparents, parents, and all of that. How will we then, knowing all of this and being aware of all of this, how can we help guide our young ones to a future where there is this I really don't know whether we can resolve all of this in one generation, but at least mm -hmm. to help the young, instead of getting sucked into the consumerism that we see now, having this more, more, what? I don't know what the word is, how to deal, how they deal with money, which is a little bit different than what we have gone through in our own mm. lifetime. I just wondered how you would Yeah, well, I think it's a wonderful question and probably really good answers from the audience. I'm humbled. I um, was a, um, as a step-parent, but uh, <coughs> I, I think it's such a vital question and I don't have a lot of answers. But I, um, I think that Certainly, living by uh, example is important. Um, you know, there's what we were taught as children, and then what we observe, and that often there's a discrepancy in 
what our parents, the values they upheld, and how they behaved. So um, trying to have our behaviors aligned with our values. Um, uh, working on appreciation uh, and um, diminishing the sense of deprivation. And um, again, letting other values be important in our lives. The pressures that these kids have on them to have, yeah. um, the, the way that self and um, commodity is interwoven is uh, I, absolutely much more intense than it was for us. Saying no is really important. Understanding, to, saying no to them um, when we can. Um, understanding why it's hard for us to say no to our kids. Someone um, in a book reading recently talked about his grandmother who would uh, give money to, uh, she would call all the grandchildren into the room. She would give money to her favorites and not to the others. And he oh, was Lord. one of the unfavorite oh. Uh, grandchildren. So with his, he recognizes he was sitting in the in the audience that with his daughter, he's been unable to say no to her because, of course, he needed to show his love that way. Yeah. So seeing the ways that we're out of balance with our kids, I think, is important. Having you know the sense of entitlement, a lot of people, especially in wealthier communities, uh, you know, like Marin, talk about how entitled the kids are. So having, having money, helping them learn that you earn money for work, you know, something that's pretty simple and elementary, but a lot of us don't learn. So having, not using money to reward necessarily for getting the A's or the B's or being good, but having them work, earn money, I think is, is uh, really important. Um, uh, and I think staying away from media, you know, helping them stay unplugged so that they can have an experience of, of nature and of relationship and family because uh, it's really um, hard to come by. Um, I, again, I, I think talking is one of these places where talking with other parents, you know, and grandparents is really will, will help give um, ideas for 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 how you handle, how you help the kids. Yeah. And financial education, helping them learn about you know, credit cards and checks and savings accounts and investments, helping them get grounded. Yes, Marion. idea too is um, starting at an early age to give the children a little bit of money to give away. Mm -hmm. yes. Starting at an early age in the school, encouraging the school mm -hmm. to have a fund where the children decide wh what's important in the community that, that needs to be helped, and then they give it away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad that was brought in because I haven't really talked about giving money. It's a, a, a huge healing, a huge connecting, a huge uh, 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 feeling feeling that we are in this together, someone used that language, you know, we are in this together, and that uh, 
we are responsible for ourselves, but we're also uh, responsible for helping those others who uh, have not been given the opportunities that we have been given, who are in need for whatever reasons, who are in need, recognizing that we all can be in need, right? It doesn't take much for any of us to, um, uh, to be dependent on, on others. It's a, an accident away. It's an it's a, um, a economic recession away. It's a, an it's, earthquake away. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, Marion, what you said. I have a friend who lost her son to cancer when he was a college student. And they started a, a family foundation, and most of the board members are his friends who are now in their young 20s. And what they've done, they've been great about earning money, as you often see in this sort of situation. But what these parents have done that I think has been such a gift is this, this young board of directors then makes the decisions about the grants and goes to the place and gives them the check and is a part of the full process, so earning the money, making decisions about spending it, and being there to give it to them. And it has been the most rich experience for those young people. I've, I've been amazed at what, how extraordinary it's been for them. Well, that's beautiful, and it, it, it makes me think, too, for your son. I was thinking if you gave him money that he has to give to somebody else to give away. Uh-huh. That could be an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually pretty good about giving it away. He's just terrible about spending, spending it. it. I mean, I, I should worry, right? <laughs> but I'll, I'll try that with something that's, you know, his own money, and then we'll see how that works. <laughs> but it's a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> I, I heard of um, from the mother uh, that her daughter had read the book and that for her birthday she asked for money that she could give philanthropically. Oh, wow. That's just great. It was very heartening to yes, me. Yes, it is. But, it, but yes, again, it is. It, is, it is the heal. For some of us, it's the healing. It's the balancing. Mm -hmm. Well, we probably have time for one more question or comment. <laughs> Two more. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Two things, a few things come up for me, but one is um, loaning money and not just giving it. <coughs> I'm wondering, which I tend to do, I, I, loan, I don't know how not to loan money a lot of times, and my friends judge it a lot. And it strikes me that the reason it's difficult to talk about money is everybody has judgments on each other about how they handle their money, you know, if they um, spend it all on big dinners, or someone like me buys clothing, or, you know. Whatever it is, everybody has feelings, and that starts really young with your family judging you. But another thing I wanted to bring up was that um, I had to leave America and go to a third world country to find out that being poor didn't mean you were lazy. Because I think in this country there's this stigma that if you're not making money, you're just lazy. And, um, it's and that just it's, not, your, it's your fault. And then I remember meeting people who chose not to make money or a lot of money and it was really shocking the first few times and then there used to be a book that was quite popular called Voluntary Simplicity I think it was called mm -hmm. when Elgin. I first came here that was kind of a choice of a lot of people in Bolinas so, another aspect of it all mm -hmm. thank you 
And just to tag on that, there's this denigration of making money using your hands as opposed to your mind, and the pay scale is such mm -hmm. a different mm -hmm. pay scale. And both are needed, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm really stuck with I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm finding that really strong right now. Especially in this culture, in right. this country. One last word. Well, I was just going to come in about, um, it's interesting, it's all some of the things you've been saying, but um, I used to, sometimes I'll hold some inspirational gatherings at my house for just when the news gets really bad. And one of the things we've watched, I've brought people together at my house to watch, is the CNN Heroes Awards, uh -huh. which they, once a year, they honor somebody. And it's, it's brought me to tears every time to see that, you know, because I always grew up I didn't grow, I grew up sort of lower middle class, and so I never knew that you didn't have to have a lot of money to give money away. And seeing these people and these cultures, these other cultures, which are much more heart-connected than we are, of these people who just feel a call, they see hungry people, they decide to open a kitchen in their own home on a shoestring, they're working people, they don't have a lot. It's broken my heart. I mean, it's opened my heart and broken yeah. my heart at the same time. It's it's amazing to watch something like that and see people from all over the world doing these amazing things to help people. And that it just takes one person with enough um, heart, with mo enough motivation or feeling of calling to do it. And it doesn't necessarily matter. And it's not at all true that it's just the wealthy who give money. I mean, right. people who live very marginally give up much higher percent give more often mm -hmm. than people who are wealthy. It is. It's a real antidote for cynicism, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Well, thank you all for being thank a you. part of this. And Kate, once again, thank you thank for you. joining thank us here you. at Common Real at the New School.